0: I would like to officially declare that this day today, February 10th, which by the way is a very special day, particularly for me because had this person not been born on this day, I would not be married to her Would you sing happy birthday to my wife, Carolyn? It's her birthday today. And uh, as many of you know, your lives, many of you, your lives have been changed because of of what God has done in her, amen. So we're gonna celebrate that a little later, amen. Um, Take the hand of the person with you. I want to open, I want to declare today, February 10th, that first fruit season is now open. Now, because some of you don't know what that is, you're not cheering. So I'm going to ask you to come with us in faith, and I'm going to declare again while all of us give praise, because you're going to benefit from this, First Fruit Season is now open. As you hold the hand of the person standing next to you, I want you to get in mind the things that you've been praying about, what you're asking the Lord to do, the thing that's Chief on your list, the thing that's on your heart that you want the Lord to do. And for many of you, that thing is not possible without God's help. And that's why we we bring it to God. I trust you've got something on your heart big enough that without God, it'll never happen. But through him, it'll manifest. And guess what? He's the one that will get the glory. Come on, open your mouth and just begin to talk to the Lord right now. And Father, in the name of Jesus, as we declare this season open, as we gather together the first of our increase, the first of our income, the first of our resources, out of our heart, would you receive, Father, in the name of Jesus, this first fruit representing the most important year of our life. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Let the heavens be open, pour out a blessing where our containers would be too small to receive. We ask you, Lord, honor the faith of this people. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true, it is right and that phenomenal and extraordinary things we declare are breaking forth and coming to pass because of this season and the faith of your people. Thank you. Thank you for being our first fruit. We give you praise and we give you thanks. Let there be crystal clarity. Let there be clear understanding. And let faith arise, Lord, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Give the Lord praise one more time before you take your seats. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you may be seated. What a, what a season, what a time. You know we pray because we want answers. I hope you don't pray just for lip length, just for lip, lip service. We pray because we want and we believe that God answers prayers Is there anybody here that believes that God answers prayer. Amen. Amen. And in this season, we look for answers. You should be looking for answers. But, but this season, this First fruit season, I want you to see the connection between your answers and your altar. Because altars and answers go together. Altars are for an answer. And you know when you need an answer, you know when you get it and when you don't. If you don't know when your prayer has been answered, you don't know what you prayed. And I will say to you, the more specific your prayer, the more specific God's answer. Some believers do not pray because they do not feel in their hearts that they deserve an answer, so they don't pray. But When you pray, the Lord wants you to know how he feels about it. It's amazing to me that Matthew chapter 6 says, But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And the connotation is reward you openly. Jesus wants you to know that when you pray, he will answer. So he declares in Matthew chapter seven and verse 11, He says, and if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? And he resounds again in chapter five. He says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. And Jesus is the one that ties together altars and answers. We we all have something we need an answer for. And every single one of us, something that is beyond our reach, beyond our power to do. Only God can give you that thing. But that thing will not be answered until you pray it and do something with the altar. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 and 18 makes an interesting declaration talking about our father of the faith, Abraham. By faith, when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac on the altar and he and he who had received the promises was offered up. He offered up his only begotten son. In verse 18, 11, 18 of Hebrews says it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. We'll come back to that in a minute. It's a powerful verse for this season. Because the altar is, is, um, is that special place that holds some of life's greatest breakthroughs. It's not just a physical place, but rather it's a lifestyle in our walk with God, we must eventually come to a place where we are eager to encounter God at the altar. We talk about the altar in, the, in our public gathering, it's normally reserved to the space right at the bottom of the stage. Historically, in the church, it was a table, and that was the table upon which communion was served. It was, the, it was called the altar. Depending on how you grew up in church and what your religious orientation was, if you were more traditional, there was actually a kneeling place that was called the altar. If you come up in Pentecostalism, there was, the altar was any place you got on your knees down in front of the church. In fact, we would even practice altar calls. When somebody preaches the word and calls for you to respond to the word that was preached, it was called the altar, or the place where you stepped out of your place, came down, and many times knelt before God. I remember when I was saved. When I, when the Lord saved me, the man was preaching. It was like the whole, every 500 servicemen there on the top of, of the of the eagle's nest, all of them disappeared and the man was talking to me. When he got done, I ran out my seat. Saints, I ran out my seat, slid down on my knees and stayed there for an hour as God began to give me a vision and an answer for my salvation. Some of you may have had that altar experience. I'm just curious, how many of you, when you you said that you were gonna follow Jesus, you did it at an altar. Raise your hand if that's true, look around. Some of you, your altar, your experience with meeting God may have been in your car, may have been in your home, may have been at a table, somebody praying with you. But the place where heaven touches earth and earth responds to heaven, we call that an altar. And we need it, it's the place of surrender. It's always been the place where God has used to bring life out of death. In fact, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In case you didn't know it, when you came to God's altar, be it in your heart, in your car, or down at a bench in the front of a church, wherever that altar was, God was treating you like a seed. And when you are praying to God at the altar, God expects there to be fruit from your life. At the altar, something dies, and if it dies, it comes alive. God specializes in bringing transformations at the altar. Yes, it can be a physical place, but it's more than that, because if you come and kneel at a physical place and nothing takes place in your heart, then that altar means nothing. God recognizes the Father is partial to of altars. an Altar is a place where God Brings powerful transformation. The principal things in your life, the change of your nature, the change of your mind, the the brokenness of your heart about what was displeasing to God and the acceptance of the grace of God to change you and to make you into what he wants or to cause you to want to do what's right. You know what the difference about salvation? You want to do right. Tell your neighbor if you are really saved you want to do right. One of the ways that you know that you, you love God and you really, you are saved is that you may do something wrong, but in the middle of that, you want to do right. Tap, tap, your may be saying, I hope he want to do right. That want to do is, is, is God's transformation. And if you keep responding to the altar, God will take that, what you feel like is an inability to do right, he'll transfer that into power, to actually be right. Altars are very powerful places. If you take the scripture and you follow altars through the Bible, it is amazing what you discover. One of the first ones you see is in Genesis when they offered up the fruits of the ground and burned it on the altar. If the smoke went up, it was God was saying, I'm well pleased with what you've given me. I'm well pleased with what you made cause to die. And what you made cause to die, I will turn around and make alive for you. That's why they were to give to the Lord of their labor, of whatever it was. Whether it was the fruits of the ground or whether it was the raising of a a herd of, of any kind, whatever it was, God required, has always required since the fall for men to take of the substance and bring it to him and place it before him and mark it for destruction to you. But an offering to him and when that offering pleases him, and he receives it, he puts a blessing on the rest. First time you see this going on with Cain and Abel. They both brought their offering to God. And Cain's, well, Cain's came back in his face because the Bible said Cain just took some of the stuff. He just just got some of the vegetables because it was the imposition to him. He's like some folks who go to church and just say, well, this offering time, reach and get a dollar. It's a "Here." I'm sorry, mom, I wasn't talking to you. Amen. Unlike his brother, Abel, who, who understood what God was saying. God wasn't stingy. God didn't need his cattle. So what do you, what do you want, God? Well, I want you to believe me. So Abel took of the fat, the best, he took of the best and the first of what was produced. He found the, the best one of the first ones. No defect, nothing you would wanna throw away. You know, it's one thing you give somebody something and you don't really want it. How many of you know there's something totally different when you give somebody something that you really like it? I'm sorry, I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever had that experience or not. But it's a whole different ball game And God says, give her them shoes. Lord, you, what you what you talking about? What you talking about? What shoes you, you talking about? <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean them ones that you got the you got a great deal on them. Worse than that, them ones you paid retail for, but you like them so much that you went in you you know you liked them when it hurt a little bit when you paid, but you got them right, and now you're wearing them and everywhere you go somebody compliments you in your shoes. Guy, you got them shoes. Ooh. And the Holy Spirit, yes he will, yes he will, will speak to you and say give cha-cha your shoes. And you start reasoning with God and say, well, you know, I got these other shoes that kind of look kind of like them and they're back in the closet and they didn't cough for half as much and I don't wear them no way. Hey, y'all not talking to me. And, and, and have you ever had that situation? And you go give cha-cha the shoes that you, you know, you know, you know and then you, every time you put your shoes on, you feel bad. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God is not after your shoes. He's after your heart. It's true that altars are powerful places I want you to be aware of your altar. What condition is it in? Because there is the place where transactions for heaven happen on earth. That's true. And so what we're gonna do in this first fruit season is we wanna make sure the altar is right before the Lord. Because when the altar is right, the gift will multiply. Tell your neighbor what he said, that when the altar is right, The gift will multiply. Now, there's a principle that the Bible teaches of first things. That principle of first things is pretty powerful. It's like when when first things are put first, then second things get blessed. Um, The first does not mean, in the Bible when it talks about first, first does not mean number one. But really, first means the first priority. See, if you're standing by yourself, talking about I'm number one, you're not really first because you're standing alone. (laughs) But if you're the beginning of the line, of a line of 99 other people behind you, and you're in the beginning of that line, then you're first. Like in the Old Testament, when you, um, when, you, when you translate the word tithe, the word translated means tenth. But the definition of the word is not the same as the translation of the word. Tenth just means tenth. But in the, in the, in the Old Testament and throughout the scripture, When you define the word, it's really more than that. It is the first tenth. Tell your neighbor what he said. It's the first tenth. And that's what makes it so powerful. It's powerful because God said of anything you do, of anything I want from you, it's not your money. What can God do with your money? He owns it all. heaven say "Here, Jesus what are you going to do when God says but I want the first what it does it it directs your whole thinking to where it all comes from how I'm even able to spend it have you ever seen people that are loaded but don't even have the ability to spend it So there's a a movie just came out recently that my wife and I were laughing as I took her to see, um, one of the things I do, I I try to take her to see funny movies and um, it's the latest movie that Kevin Hart has made. It's called The Upside, yeah, yeah. Please forgive the bishop by mentioning this film publicly because some of the language in the film is not sanctified, amen. However, but for some of you, that's no big deal. But but anyway, uh, 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 I went to see them. But the the thing is, it's powerful that the quadriplegic in the film has is loaded with money. Everything around him is opulent, but he can't spend it. Have you seen people that way? I want to tell you, God wants you and I to have a, a, a proper attitude about money. It must be important because God says you, can only, you cannot serve two masters. You will be God or, the Bible uses the word mammon, but the real translation of the word actually is wealth, money, riches. So God says I only have one competition and that's money. You will either love one and hate one, cling to one or reject one. There will be, you will not and you cannot, the word when he says cannot is actually, it's not prohibition, it's inability. You can't do it. And what's amazing is how much money touches everything we do. Oh, you know I'm right. The clothes you have on right now, you got them, I hope, by money. Excuse me for being so personal but the underclothes you have on right now you got mhm by money and if you have better money and 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 you're saved and you you got delivered from from uh, from, uh, you get delivered from the black community, you got better underwear on now than you were used to wearing when you grew up. Yes, amen, thank you, Jesus. You know, and I just want you to know, I know it's a little personal, but I just want you to know, if I have to put them on every day, they're gonna be fine, amen. And you know what? Just because I'm a male don't mean they can't feel good when I put them on. So I'm gonna search high and low till I find that the outdoor underwear that feel good, absolutely. Every man in the world ought to have the privilege of wearing comfortable underwear. Will all the brothers clap, please, and help me and join me in my quest? Because, man, you know what? There ain't nothing worse than old draws. Amen. Okay, I'm off. I'm off of it. I got off it, baby. Everything we touch, money is involved in it. You came in here today. Trust you got shoes on your feet. You came here by some form of transportation. You came from some place, hopefully, that was warm and comfortable. And in that comfortable place, you, you, in that place, I trust that you have what you need to live your life in a way that not only is comfortable, but that even can help somebody else. And money is the thing that makes a difference. And when you talk about altars, 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 are, it, An altar is the place where your money, which controls your lifestyle, can be multiplied. It's amazing to me how when you talk about this subject, it gets solemn in the house. But Jesus says more about money than he says about heaven. He says more about money than he says about faith. It's amazing. Jesus talks more about money than he talks about salvation because he understands what it means, what it can do and what he can do with it. So when you consider altars You consider the fact that this first principle of first things, God wants to be first. It's not like He wants to be first because He's trying to be first. God is first because He is first. The reality, this is the reality. If God was not, you would not be. He is the first cause of all things. Not only is he the first cause and the creator of all things, he is a sustainer of all things. So when God makes the earth, he also sustains it, keeps it rolling, keeps the planets orbiting, amen. Keeps the sun shining, keeps the moon turning, keeps the whole world turning on its axis. Causes the winter and the spring and the summer and the fall to be. It's God that does that. Man does not do that. I wish somebody could say amen to that. That is why. This is another pet peeve. That is why. If you listen to the global, if you Lord have mercy, if you listen to the global evolutionists, if you listen to the global at the climate folks. You, they got you thinking that the earth is going to melt or burn up in just a few years. I got news for you, my friend. What God created, he will sustain it until he's done with it. He said as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. God is, is overlooking that thing. And I don't care what you say as a scientist, you won't change. You won't change God's mind. When it's and, and not done till he's done with it. He won't change it until he's ready to change it. I'm sorry for some of you, some of you are, have become victims of the global uh, environment, what's it called? Global the global warming scam for me. <laughs> if some of you are interested in more information about that, you can just take, just email me and I'll send you a truckload of information that at least will give you a different opinion, amen. All I know is <laughs> that God is still in control give your neighbor a high five give your neighbor a high five God is still in control don't you spend another night worrying about the earth burning up or the polar caps melting not another night another night but those of you who are into this if you really want to know where it's going follow the money and you'll get a clue but back I digress back to the subject God, God has an investment in the people of God, and God is the one who declares, and he is first. There are many things you can check in your life to see whether or not he's first. None of those things are more potent than checking the books, and one of the books in your life is your checkbook. Oh, excuse me, you don't hardly use those anymore, do we? How many of you? When was the last time you physically wrote a check? We got one right here. You got one, two, three. Physically, you act, you act, pull a check out, wrote a check. Let me see. I got to see who you are because I'm praying for you that God will help you deliver you. No, 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 no. Actually, technology is changing everything. So I, I was I was just I was talking. I was talked into what's called a um, cash card, cash app, like, what's it called, pay, uh, cash app, yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. yep, I got one, I got one, I put some money in there, I'm still trying to figure out how it works, you know, (laughs) I went to the counter the other day, I put put it in there, you know, beep, what's, what's up? well, so, uh, it's not taking that. I said, look, don't you see that little chip on it? Anyway, I got some. I got some more. Some more things to be doing, but I do have it. I want you to know I'm moving with the times. Amen. God is so interested. He's so interested in bragging and showing off who he is through you. So he wants to be first. It's called First Fruits because it's the first significant offering of the year of the best of your income or your production. It's called First Fruits because it represents the, the first significant gathering of what you have produced. And when it's given at the top part of the year, it has a specific purpose. God uses that, your faith in that gift, your faith in him in giving that gift. He uses that not only to protect what's coming but to multiply what's coming. I'll show it to you in the scripture. For many years, the church didn't talk about this kind of offering, in in fact, I'm I'm not surprised that many of God's people have never even heard of first fruits apart from tithes, and yet it's all through the Scripture. So let me give you a a shameless plug. If you if you go to Amazon uh, and you type in Flynn Johnson, the principle of first fruits, the book will come up, and you can you can. Download it for eleven ninety-nine? I think that's right. Am I right? Yeah, okay. Which really it's you know, I know the guy who wrote the book he is you know solid. Amen. Solid. Giving first fruits has a particular significance. Write this down. The first guarantees the rest. The first guarantees the rest. This is so powerful in the scripture to just repeat it again and again and again. Without taking more time than I need to today, I'd like to just give you three quick illustrations. The first guarantees the rest. When God looks at the first, he thinks something very, very important about it. God was so animated about the first Until he, he said, he told Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. Moses, open your mouth and speak for me. Tell Pharaoh, I said, now you had them long enough. You had them 400 years. You've used their weight, you've used their free labor to, to become the most powerful nation now. Let them go. In fact, he said it this way, Israel is my firstborn. Let them go, so they can worship me. And and you know Pharaoh was belligerent. If you're gonna do anything, if you're gonna belliger- be belligerent with anybody, don't be belligerent with God. God said to Pharaoh, "Okay, if you don't let my first, if you don't let my firstborn go, I'm gonna take your firstborn." That's what God told Pharaoh. You think first things aren't important to the Lord? And the Lord did exactly that. When stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. Ten, ten powerful plagues over the whole nation. And he still, with his hard heart, would not obey the Lord. The last one was the removal of the firstborn of Egypt. The Bible says it was crying and weeping so until you could hear it for miles. And yet the people of God remained untouched. God said that... Israel is my firstborn. Pharaoh let him go. It's kind of amazing. You can follow that story all the way through. It's an amazing account of what God thinks about firstborn things. While they were in Egypt, while Israel was in Egypt, while they were there, you can find it in Exodus when they were, When they were, while they were in Egypt, before they ever came out of Egypt, God started instructing them about this we're doing today. That's why it's bigger than the law. The law was not even given yet. And so God said this, prophesying to them, when you come out of the land and says when you enter the land that I'm giving you, when you go in there, I want you to take the first of your crops, the, the best and the first of your, of your herds, I, I want you to bring it to me. And he didn't tell them how much. He said take some of. Say some of. So the some of was going to be a description of how they felt about their deliverance and their God. Take some of the crops, some of the herds. Then the Lord said, by the way, the first to come out of the womb is mine, the Lord said. So I want the first child. Now, God does not believe in human sacrifice that the people would give. In fact, he was very radical against, radically against it. But he said, "The firstborn out of your womb, I want that child." Well, Lord, I'm going to give you my, I'm going to give you my child, and you don't believe in, in in infant sacrifice because everybody knows whatever you bring to the altar is destroyed. He said, "When you bring that child, when you bring that child, which is your firstborn, to the altar, I I, I have certain." I have certain exchanges that you can get in that child's place. So they would purchase the things that were acceptable to God and he had both small and great, so it doesn't matter what economic economic strata you were in, wherever you were poor or poorer or less middle class or whether you were at the top of the, if you, whether you were the rich, You had to exchange your child for a specific thing. And when you offered that thing, it was like offering that child. God said, the first things to me are a big deal. With that in mind, I, I give you a quick synopsis of Hannah. You can find her story in 1 Samuel chapter two, chapter one and two and three actually, chapter one, two and three. So Hannah, she was crying to the Lord and it's, it's now well past the time that the law has been given and all the instructions have been given and Israel's already been practicing what the Lord let out. So Hannah, she is v- vexed. And she's vexed because she would be an, anom- an, anom- an anomaly here today because she wanted children so bad. She didn't care about her figure. She wanted her barrenness to be broken. She lived in a house with a woman. Her husband had two wives at that time. And that first wife, Panana, she was having babies like hiccups. (laughs) Here's your gum, here's another one, here's another one. And no matter what Hannah did, she could not have children. Now some of you don't, may not be able to appreciate that, but people who actually live to see the next generation who cannot bring that forth on their own, it's misery to them. And you live in a house where the, your, your rival who actually waves they, little stinky babies in front of your face. The Bible says Penina taunted her and and Hannah was so deeply vexed until she was praying. And every year they would go to the temple where the altar was because that's where you give God your sacrifice. And her husband did well because he sacrificed well unto the Lord. Elkanah would take Hannah with him because Elkanah loved her. But no matter what he did, she could not get pregnant. And she is vexed and she's praying outside the temple, having gone away from the altar. And she's praying so hard till her mouth is moving but no words are coming out. And the priest said, woman, put away your alcohol. Quit drinking. And she turned and said, oh my Lord, I am not drunk. I'm overwhelmed with grief. And he tells, she tells the priest her story. And, and, and while she was praying, before the priest saw her, she, she told God something. She said, God, I want this so bad that if you will break my barrenness and allow the first child to come out, allow this child to come from me, I will give him to you all the days of his life. Which meant she had to Prepare the child, wean the child. <laughs> Make sure the child's temperament was right. Make sure the child understood its destiny. Mm. She said, "If you, if, if God will just, if, you'll, if you, if let me have this child, I'll give him to you." The priest looked at her and said. <laughs> Woman, so be it unto you. When the priest said them words, she said, hey, nothing but a thing. Thank you, sir. She the Bible says she quit crying. She dried her eyes. I'm Johnsonizing it now. She went home. She put on her makeup and her negligee. Put everybody else out the house and said, Elkanah! And the Bible says, this is what's amazing. She got pregnant. Can you imagine when, can you, I know, I know, I'm trying to make it make sense. Can you imagine when she looked at the thing and said pregnant, what she was doing? I know, they not even had them in those days. I know, but I was trying to help you understand. When, 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 can you imagine when that little father said pregnant? Can you imagine, like, oh yeah! Can you imagine how she acted Like, oh yes, oh yes! You know, and, and, and she was no longer taunted. For nine months, that, and her stomach is going, and she ain't ashamed. she's like, hey! Can you imagine? When that child comes, her barrenness is broken. Elkanah went up that year to offer to the priest. She said, you go up there by yourself this time. Hon, uh, I'm staying here because I'm going to wean this child because I promised God something. Excuse me, it's amazing. When you have a baby, don't the father have as much say with the mama has? She said, I made this promise. You get it? I made this promise. In fact, that's how this baby got here. I know you were the instrument, but hey, you know, hey. When the, when, when, when the, when the time is right, she takes the child, she takes the child, names him Samuel. He, she makes a little ephod for him, takes him by the hand, and she walks up with the child also came flour and wine uh, and a bull, a, full, a, a bull that, that was raised. Uh, the way I, I see it is the bull was grown as a child was grown. She brings the bull and the, and the flour and the wine and, and, and comes to the priest and the priest sees her and she says, you remember me? He's, you know how pastors want, don't want to forget anybody's face. So he you remember me? I was here 25 years ago. Remember me? <laughs> and I said, good to see you. <laughs> kind of looked, looked at her. And she said, I'm the one that you said... I'm the one that was praying about a child. He says, oh yeah, I remember that. And then, and here, and, and takes the child, said, here, here's the child. She didn't know. She was raising one of the greatest prophets of all time. She didn't know that her gift was so powerful that that gift would, would actually steer the whole nation. She didn't know her gift was going to speak to the kings and the leaders of the nation. She didn't know that Qaeda's house was so corrupt that his sons would never inherit the ministry because of their life and because of their, the degradation of their life. And they all died before time. And when Samuel died, I mean, excuse me, when Eli died, Samuel stood up in the place and he became the priest of Israel. She didn't know it, but she knew, she knew what she promised God. And when she promised God and God received her, the Bible says she went home and she had three more boys and two more girls. Clap your hands and say amen to that. Once that womb got open, praise God, she was having babies like she's eating chicken. Amen. Hallelujah. Tap your neighbor and say the first guarantees the rest. It's a powerful thing. I'm only gonna give you one more. It's a scripture we just read earlier. You know, uh, it's one thing to give somebody something you don't care about. It really is of no, uh, it's of no emotional strain on you. In fact, it's a release, right? taking up room, you, know, you haven't used it. And, and some of us need to do that. But there's no real, um, the Bible would call it sacrifice. But boy, when you give God something that you love, when you give people something that they, that they really love and you really like it, but you release it. When you release what you love, you also, re, you also bring the potential of multiplication of what you released. If it takes you 25 years to talk about having a baby and 25 years has passed, you're already old and you had 25 years on top of that, you know, and, and, you, and you, you don't have what you want. And this is the story, Abraham's 75, he's 75. He's 75 when he, when he voices his desire for a son. He always wanted a son, and he never could have a son, no matter, no matter what. Sarah was not, was not hiccuping. She was not eating chicken. She could, No, and no matter what they did. What's amazing in this story is that a time comes when the Lord visits him, and he says, you know, it's really amazing by the time you get to the 18th chapter. He says, you know what? The Lord gets real specific with him. He said, this time next year, she's going to be pregnant. When God prophesies to you, better listen. Sarah, she was in the tent, and she's showing up with this. If you say pregnant, if you started with the word peace, her ears are like, uh, what? Because uh, huh? for him, he might have been poking fun, but for her, it was a lifetime experience. I'm sorry that you're all too slow, but that's all right because when when she heard pregnant, she what? She starts laughing. God said, you laughing Sarah? (coughs) No Lord. Before the Lord leaves, he says, yes you were laughing. So Abraham, after 25 years of talking about it, it's one thing a desire in your heart, but 25 years of Taking cheap shots from those who have children. You're hearing me, thanks. And finally, the Lord says, This time next year, you're going to have a child. Can you imagine? (laughs) He's thinking, I know what I'd be thinking. Okay, God said it. I know it ain't osmosis. Uh, I know this is not gonna happen by thinking about it. So I guess, uh, yeah, amen. And so Abraham now has got to deal with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this in here, and, and, and by the way, what I'm saying to you right now is I'm exercising a little license and his conjecture But I do understand that when two people come together, they need to be on one accord. And it's possible that Abraham had to get his relationship right with Sarah. That if she was carrying any offenses, which she could have been, the Bible doesn't say she was, but it gives us the incidences. Don't tell them, tell them you're my sister. It put her in a situation where the king was going to marry her and come into her and and, and, and Abraham is safe. But she, she like, oh, oh my God. I, I don't know it for a fact, but it would not be surprising to me if they had to have a serious conversation. Tap your neighbor says, because tap, tap your neighbor tells him because offense will mess up your blessing. Hurt will mess up your blessing. Anger will help, will mess up your blessing. Am I talking to the right people here today? I, I, I do believe that we had nine months. Now it was one year, he said, this time next year. So you got 90 days to get your act together because, you know, it's going to take nine months for that child to develop. And if God, if the word of the Lord is going to happen, and then you need to do something now. Sure enough, whatever it was, God lifted it. Which I, I do want to say this because there, some of you here, what's keeping your assignment from manifesting is you got to get some things right with your partner. You got to have a serious conversation no wonder Jesus said when you come to the altar and you remember that your brother has an ought against you can I apply it you remember that your husband has you remember that your wife you remember that whoever has an ought against you leave your gift come on where go and get it right and then come back then offer your offering. is that a trip when that boy came Lord Help us today. Can you imagine? I'm looking at 25 years of hoping. Made manifest. I'm looking at I'm looking at hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of wrestling with doubt and fear and shame. And all of a sudden, now here this child is. And oh Lord, don't say dad, dad. Have you ever seen fathers who are just their chest is way up here cuz the baby said dad dad first before they said mama do I have... <laughs> he said dada he said dada he said dada he said dada he said dada, he said, dada. He, it's amazing don't let that child start reaching out and forming words and, and 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 putting their head on you and resting their head on you and and all of a sudden you grab their hands and, and you grab their hands and their hands tighten up and now they starting to jump with you. You know, you know you got bad knees it don't matter. You know, <laughs> you, know then, then you start don't let them start walking. No Lord don't let the child start walking. Drive you absolutely bananas until so that child, you know. Can you see that father walking with that child in the midst of it? He is enjoying this child to the max. So God, God about to do an FF on him. First fruits. He says, uh, he says, Abraham. I changed Sarah sarah sarai to sarah i changed you from abram to abraham you were childless and i made you a father your name means father of a multitude god said i changed your name when i say a multitude that's exactly what i mean take this only seed that would even make multitudes possible take that son and I want you to offer him on a mountain that I will show you. You know this story. Abraham has had enough experiences with the voice of God until he knows there's no conflict about what God about who's speaking to me. He might have had to wrestle inside about what? He takes that only child up and he takes him on the top of that mountain. The Bible says he stacked up stones. He made a altar. He took the wood, put it on the altar, and put the boy on top of the wood. He's about to—he's about to sacrifice. And pulls out his switchblade—I mean his knife—and the Bible says he's about to do it in, in his heart. By the way, he tells the men at the bottom of the mountain. He said, "You know what? Me and the lad are going to go up to do what." That's exactly right. I'm so glad you read the scripture. The Bible says, me, all the help that, that traveled with us two or three days, y'all stay down here, watch the, watch the donkeys and, and, and the supplies. But the boy and I put the wood on the boy's back, put the wood on the boy's back, put the wood on the boy's back, and the land and I, we're going to climb the mountain, and we will be back. We will return gets to the top of the mountain, and Abraham is about to offer his first fruit. The first that breaks the womb. God said, I want them. They're mine. He takes that son, and the son is oblivious. Talk to your neighbor and say, your child ain't got to know everything you're about to do. I, 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 this is a good parenting le- lesson I'm sorry but parents your children are not necessarily privileged or supposed to be privy to everything that's going on well I digress because they got phones now You give them phones when they, they can find out everything they want to find out what did mama say last week beep beep beep, beep 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 got that recorded there it is God help us Isaac is on the wood. Abraham is about to destroy him and the angel of the Lord stops him and says, Abraham, Abraham, now I know, now I know, now I know that you fear God and you will order your house aright. He looks over and there's a ram in the bush that he he sacrifices and God does for Abraham what Israel was to do to find a, a, an appropriate sacrifice for children God does that for Abraham it is like the son is being offered because in his heart he was going to do everything God said but what you may not know that in Isaac were the multitude so many if you could take the sands of time the sands on the on the shore and try to count them you couldn't all that was inside of Isaac Isaac represented everything that God promised him and God couldn't bring it about until Abraham offered it to him. Talk to your neighbors here the first guarantees the rest. And you know what Abraham never worried about Isaac dying before his time. Abraham never worried about him Isaac falling into mischief or something because God had already promised him he'd already passed the test God already approved it and I want you to know he wasn't running up and down up and down the mountain and say oh he busted his leg or oh he gonna, oh, he gonna hurt himself no he, he was free that child was mine I gave that child to God God turns around and gives it to me I ain't worried about it because God got it because all the things that he promised me are in that boy in that child. When you, when you determine what your first fruit is, and I, I gave you these two stories because one is purely by volunteer. She said, I will give you the boy. But in Abraham's case, God said, give him to me. When it comes to first fruits, you, there are two things working. God will speak to you. He will, he will cause you to feel good about an amount that you should give because it's not a tenth. Tap your neighbor and say, this is not a tithe. It's not a tenth. God will, will, will nudge you in your heart. Those of you who are used to hearing the Lord, he will, that, that little pressure inside, you'll know this is what I'm supposed to give. Others of you, others of you, you, he may give you something that you don't actually have in your hands. It needs to yet be gathered. And he knows, God knows that. What I want you to see is what you're about to do, how powerful it is. Your first fruit offering is your faith, Lord. It's, It's generally larger than your weekly Offering. for some people who have done this they have even come to the place where they realize you know this is what I make they have moved far past I I don't please don't misread what I'm saying but many some, some people need to move out of the three-digit category into the four-digit category because most of their life They've just been comfortable there. They have dreams, they have desires that are beyond where they are, but they their giving is still where they've been giving. One of the things the Holy Spirit will do, he, if, you want, if you really want to go forward, he will begin to nudge you about more. Don't be afraid of that. When you get a figure in your heart, you say, oh, Lord, it's probably God. when you do don't forget what it means don't forget that god is well able to multiply and to keep what you've given to him and return it in multiples i want to encourage you today as you consider this season of first fruits consider the fact that jesus in the same way that Isaac was Abraham's first fruit, consider that the father's first fruit is Christ, his only son, his only begotten son. Just like Isaac represents the rest of the whole nation of Israel, Jesus represents the rest of the sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. I'm saved today because God so loved me that he gave Christ for me who was, he is the payment for all that is needed over my life. He is the one Who sanctifies me, redeems me, anoints me, directs me, keeps me alive, looking like 45 at 70. Hallelujah! He's the one, forgive me, saints. allows me to be what I need to be without blue pills. Hallelujah! <laughs> I'm not quite sure how appropriate that is, but it's true anyway. Amen. <laughs> so I, I obey him because I love him. Let your obedience be because you love him. Let there be an increasing demonstration of your love for God. Let this first fruit season be the best ever for you, the best in this regard. What the Lord speaks to you, have courage and do it. And do it quickly. Don't wait. Don't hold back. I want I to say this as we, as we go forward. Um, you hear here today. God wants to make you a first fruit. Maybe be the first to love God and, and be saved in your family. The first to come out of religion in your household. The first to believe God to do everything he wants to do with your life. The first to give your whole heart at the altar of God. Say, Lord, all that I am, all that you want me to be is yours. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding in all your always acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. You ought, to, you ought to check out verse 9 in that same passage. He gets very matter-of-fact about it. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Check this out, verse 8. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth or from your increase or from your money and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty. Hear the word of the Lord for every one of his sons and daughters so that wherever you contain money will be filled And that your life will be overflowing with joy. This is the will of the Lord for you. Religion will keep you from that. Tipping God will keep you from that. Making God your leftover piece of pie will keep you from that. The Lord wants your love. And he knows if, I, if he can get your love, then, then your money will follow. Because where your treasure is, come on, there will your heart be also. And so here's what I'm going to do. I want you to bow your heads right there. For those of you who would say, I, the Lord has not had my heart. Look, you know as well as I know, you can go through the motion and not be in it at all. You can go through the process and it means absolutely nothing because when you walk out the door, your life is still the same. You can say all the words and they mean nothing. Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips and not their heart. So Jesus said, About about the Pharisees and about those who went through the motions, but their heart wasn't changed. First fruit is a heart issue. I'd like to offer you today, in in this opening first fruit season, that the first thing you need to do is give your heart to God. Then you can get involved in his economic system. He wants, he wants you to experience that. But more than anything, he wants your heart. As your heads are bowed, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the ones, Lord, you have your hand on now. Their parents before them did things that turned them off when it comes to money. They witnessed the inappropriate use of the resources of the church and turned them off. Lord, I pray for those who become, have become skeptical and listening to the naysayers. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would identify in their heart the real issue those Lord who want their heart to be fully yours I pray Heavenly Father that you would receive them and draw them to yourself nothing has been able to satisfy no amount of success no material thing no relationship has been able to satisfy them Lord you're the only one who can change their heart I pray for them now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, just transform them right there where they sit as they open their hearts to you, as they give to you the most precious thing in their life their mind, their will, their emotions, their volition, their heart. Come in, Lord Jesus. Rule, set up, set up your kingdom, your shop inside of them. Rule in them. Thank you, Father. Thank you for changing their lives. Thank you for forgiving their sins. Washing them clean in the name of Jesus. If you want this, all you have to do is ask him. On this day that we Celebrate first fruits! What a day for the Lord to receive your heart. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that they were somebody's promise. I pray for the child, Lord. That it, they, Mama prayed and prayed and prayed. And the, look, it looked like the harder she prayed, the further they went from you. But today, Lord, her prayers have come home to be answered. I pray for them, Father, in Jesus' name. Let their misery cease today. Let their hunger be filled today. In Jesus' name. Amen.